0: This is how much it dates me as a child of the 80s. I still use National Lampoon as a descriptor when I talk about road trips. I often define it to people in just casual conversation as, oh, yeah, we're going on a big National Lampoon road trip of America. And I I think people still get that reference. Hi, everybody. It's Matt Brown. This is Jeff Borman that I'm talking to. Jeff, you still get that reference.
1: Of course. Of course. I think I used it recently when a car broke down. I, you know what it was? Actually, you No, know, my dad and I were uh, recently uh, doing a couple baseball parks. We went from a Cardinals game to a Royals game. And as we were driving across the state of Missouri, we were talking about where we could find the biggest ball of twine. And both of us immediately knew that was a reference.
0: I think the kids still get it. I think those millennials who are now 40... And the Gen Zers, oh, Lord, who knows how old they are. I think they still get it only because that movie and its progeny kind of lived on cable, you know, for like 20 years after. Like they would always be on Comedy Central through all that time. And National Lampoon has probably been written by John Hughes. It was probably a little bit of the inspiration for our conversation today, as was our, our individual trips this summer. But first, a little backstory, everybody. Growing up. I am the child of educators, and we would do this massive drive from Louisiana, where I grew up, where we lived, to all points west over like two weeks. Pretty much every August, we'd go to New Mexico, we'd go to California, we'd go to Colorado, uh, we'd visit Mom's old friends would visit dad's old Peace Corps friends, and it would just be this epic adventure across the country, halfway across the country. But to me, you know, 13-year-old, it felt like across the country. I think all this has gotten us talking about the state of the Great American Road Trip, namely, do people still do them? And if so, what's their economic impact? We're a show about the economic impact of travel. So it naturally led us down that path. I actually just finished a a big road trip with my wife, Amanda, and our dog, Tilda. We did one through America's Heartland, and we did it in very large part because it was cheaper. We had to go, you know, went to a wedding, and then we went to go visit her parents and my parents and friends. And so we went all over. We did Wisconsin and Des Moines and St. Louis and then Atlanta. And doing all of that through flights uh, and rental cars with bags and a dog would have cost thousands of dollars. And instead, with gas and snacks, we kept it in the hundreds, which was a powerful incentive for us to do all the hours in the car. And it is a ton of hours in the car. And also, just, you know, I've been thinking a lot about it, getting uh, reflective uh, in my advancing years. And I want the American road trip to survive because. I don't think it's just about seeing the sights and all the beauties that America has to offer, even though there are many of those. There's something to me, and Jeff, I think this is the case for you as well. There's something that's very internal about it. It's the people you go with, the podcasts and soundtracks you listen to, looking at you, music of season two of The Bear, the random motels and restaurants, the transcendental silences, the night drives, and... Just the general idea of moving on down the road. It is a deeply personal American experience, and I embrace that, even though uh, that modern American experience is brought to you by your sponsors at General Motors, Walt Disney, the Eisenhower Interstate System, the conflicting forces of capitalism, (laughs) and our unending restlessness and desire to see what's next. But I could wax on philosophically about road trips all day. The road trip is not dying, but it is changing. And we're going to talk a little bit about how it is changing. I'm not sure how many families do the cross-country thing anymore, but they definitely do more than 250 miles, which is kind of the the arbitrary distance that, that people sort of set for a road trip. So this episode is about the state of the great American road trip. Jeff, first question. Before we get to the stats, because we've got to give people stats, they can't just hear my philosophies. Did you do road trips as a kid? Did you do big national impoon trips when you were a child?
1: Um, no, not really. We, um, I was the oldest by seven and eight years, uh, of you know, my brother and sister. And uh, so the road trip with younger kids uh, really wasn't you know, the idea, my parents' idea of a good trip. Uh, loading up family with young children uh, who have no patience for long car rides. It was all about. It was really more about the destination. Growing up for me, I really thought you know a movie theme. I thought we'd be doing the Muppet movie, you know, Kermit and Fozzie, a frog and a bear. Sure. No.
0: Yep. Yep. We're going to stick with the economics, far more interesting, uh, the economics of travel and rev par for roadside hotels. That's uh, that's where we're going to head today.
1: Yeah, let's do rev par. <laughs> <laughs> that's what every that's what every podcast listener really wants more stats.
0: Well, you know what I've noticed about the road trip is it's such a, it's such a famous part of American life, but it's it is hard to wrangle statistics about it. And I wonder if that's because so many people have so many different versions of it, and it's hard to track as one thing. You know, like airline tickets, you can track as like one thing. This is the number of people who are flying from the East Coast to Los Angeles road trips are just so diverse, it's tough to get a bead on the economic impact. Everybody knows there is one.
1: I think we can, right? Uh, So one of the ways that STR divides performance numbers across the US uh, is they look at location type. And the the big location types, of course, are urban hotels and suburban and airport hotels, resort hotels. But the biggest two are interstate and small town metro, small towns. And if you look at it, you know, across all the United States, according to STR, there are 63,000
0: hotels. And STR reporting. is what?
1: An industry reporting agency based
0: in uh, just outside of Nashville. Okay. So they uh, give you yeah. like every quarter, they give you a bunch of statistics about where people are going and what they're doing.
1: That's right. And what was the occupancy in all these different cuts of, you know, luxury versus upscale versus economy versus this market and that market? Of the sixty-three thousand hotels that report data to Star across the United States, twenty-seven thousand of those are interstate small town hotels. Nearly half. As we so, if we look at those as kind of a proxy for how's the Great American Road Trip, interstate hotels tend to run uh, a lower occupancy than urban hotels. That makes sense. You know, your New York, your L.A., Chicago, your big cities. They should run, or you at least intuitively think and they do run a higher occupancy in new york city than you do in uh you know a town an hour outside of birmingham uh, but what we look at really at least what i think is interesting is versus 2019 so q2 prior to pandemic what's the state and health of the markets that serve the great american road trip They are healthier than they were before in comparison. So uh, the total United States in the second quarter ran a 69.8 occupancy in 2019. Today, that is five points less. So we're not going to take this into a conversation about where the United States travel business is in its recovery from COVID. But as a place setter and as a benchmark to compare against, all the U.S., five points less in occupancy still but when you look at just the interstate hotels only down a point and a half right so they've they've held on it's mm-hmm. the road trip is still extremely popular yeah. let's go a layer deeper and, and we just go uh, not q2 but just in uh, june those numbers are even better when you would expect them to be right the great american road trip probably less significant in april more significant in june well in june slightly better again interstate and small town metro uh, one and two and a half points below ACK of 19, whereas urban hotels are still eight and a half points below 19. Oh, right? wow. So I think it's, it's very popular and very resilient. Uh, if I look at one more cut, uh, the top 25 cities in the US, occupancy versus 19 in June, seven points down. All other markets outside the top 25, down three and a half. So that deficit to prior to COVID is half for the hotels that we're talking
0: about today. I'll see your statistics and I'll raise you, Jeff, with a few lazily acquired stats of my own. Wallet Hub, about a month and a half ago before all the summer travel started, they reported that nearly 80% of Americans plan to take some sort of road trip this summer by the 250 mile measure. I've got a couple of questions for you here. Where do you think the highest gas in the nation is? The highest price for gas?
1: Uh, I would say California, or maybe New Jersey, if, if we if we've got taxes included in that. Um, you, you blame
0: California for everything, and the, the problem is you're right. The highest gas prices <laughs> in the nation are California. Um, the best destination for road trip based on these metrics that Wallet Hub came up with was Texas. Highest score based on cost activities, safety. Uh, Okay. All right. I'd like to see some of the methodology here, but okay.
1: Texas just went no speed limits
0: in uh, high rural areas. The state that will give you the worst value for your trip is Rhode Island, which I feel is very unfair to Rhode Island. Providence (laughs) is lovely. Can you take take a road trip in Rhode Island though? It's 30 minutes. You cannot go more than 30 (laughs) minutes in any direction in the state. I see that as a feature, not a bug.
1: Joe Burrow will have more yards in the air this this season than you could throw across
0: Rhode Island. (laughs) Also, you know, flights to Europe and Asia, as reported by Hopper, have experienced a considerable increase. I think they're like $300 on top of what they were last summer. I think anybody who's gone on Expedia has been looking to take a trip over the last, you know, the last three months, six months has noticed that, Airline prices are radically different from, say, 10 years ago or 15 years ago. And I think that has given some strength to the the idea of the road trip.
1: If we're going to stick to stats, the price sensitivity, we're seeing that in the hotel market also, right? The economy hotels, uh, that tier uh, is performing better. And again, I think there's a correlation that most of the economy hotels uh, are in places that you would find on, a, on the great american road trip right uh, you cannot afford to run an economy hotel really in new york city costs are too high it's no longer by the time you cover your cost it's not an economy hotel anyway uh, even if it's got an economy hotel brand but if we look at where performance is in you know, june versus 19 again economy is half the oc loss uh, again very similar to what we we're just talking about with interstate and small towns so yeah i mean if listen if prices are a factor of you know anywhere from thirty percent to hundred percent higher to fly, uh, and that's not all just fuel based. And we'll get to that. But you, know, you can't talk about the Great American Road Trip and costs and consumer preferences in travel without talking about fuel at some point. But it, ultimately, fuel is going to impact both of these industries. Whether you're in the car filling the tank yourself or you're paying an airline for a ticket, you're covering across the cost of fuel. What I think is really different on the airline side is a couple of years ago, uh, labor exceeded fuel as the number one cost. So when you're flying to Europe uh, or anywhere else, you're, you're paying for more than that also, whereas you're doing the driving, Matt. You're saving the money there.
0: Right. Of course, my romantic view of the American road trip is tempered by some inconvenient truths. If American cars, SUVs, and pickup trucks were their own country, they would be the sixth largest emitter of heat-trapping carbon dioxide emissions in the world. We'd be like a nation state of cars, which we essentially are. So all of this is to say that EVs are coming. Can I can I burst your sustainability bubble? AAA, which is really, I think, the
1: authority on predicting road travel in America, uh, projects 50 million Americans to travel 50 miles or more this past Independence Weekend, mm-hmm. uh, which would be a new record. More Americans hitting the road than ever. Uh, domestic travel on long summer weekends will increase by 2 million people just year over year, 22 to 23. And this year's projection of exceeding 50 million for the first time in a single holiday weekend will top all other modes of transportation. And you start going global, this is bigger, right? Other modes of transportation are on the rise, but AAA expects 3.5 million people to travel by bus, cruise, and train combined, which is 24% up year over year. But that pales in comparison to the number of people who will be in a car. So, yes, let's get back to sustainability, if you like, but it's going to get worse.
0: Well, <laughs> sure. <laughs> I mean, listen. thank, it's, you. It's thank not, you for those I, encouraging words. You don't believe in, that there's an impact of gas prices, right? That well, first, you, you,
1: you phrased the question wrong because you act as if this is a belief, right? There's no belief here. Uh, there is simply no correlation, whatever price gas prices have no correlation whatsoever to how many people hit the road, period. Right? Study after study, starting really, first I saw was during the great financial crisis where oil surged, right? Like during COVID, it was the opposite, right? Oil plummeted. You couldn't pay people to store oil, uh, but people weren't traveling anyway. Circumstances were just different. But going back uh, at least 15 years, there is a consistent you know desire to study that if, that effect. And it never shows a correlation. So uh, there's a company called The Arrivalist. Uh, They do studies using GPS locations from mobile phones. Yes, audience, you're all being tracked. Uh, And they measure the distance people travel from their homes based on where their phone is. Uh, So in April 2020, when people were scared out of their minds and locked up and lockdown was in full swing, right? Mobile phones weren't leaving one to two miles from their home locations. Fair enough. We kind of all felt that. Uh, by the end of June of 2020, people's phones traveled 50 miles on average. That was a big trip in the summer of 2020. By the end of 2020, people's phones were moving 150-mile radius from their fo- from their homes. So it was brilliant the way this company, Arrivalist, measures. Uh, <laughs> yes, brilliant and creepy. Brilliant and <laughs> creepy. So the same company today measures gas prices uh, where they are the highest. Uh, And the distance where people travel in those locations, correlating or trying to correlate, is there, to Matt's point, any correlation between high gas prices and Gantt's conservation? And the simple answer is, no, Matt, there is no correlation. And people don't say, hey, gas is cheap. Let's just drive. Nobody's ever said that, nor do they say it's expensive. Let's stay home or fly. People still have an urge to get out. And the cost of flying and the cost of driving are going the same direction. Totally irrelevant. I think part of the challenge is that when fuel for automobiles is expensive,
0: jet fuel is even more so. Right. I wonder what that cigarette tax price is going to be that finally starts to curb it. Will it be, will we get to a point where it's, t- okay, it's $20 a gallon?
1: That's, and that's, you know, your cigarette tax is a great example uh, because the, the small tax made no impact on smoking and it did have to get to like New York where it was like $18 a pack of
0: cigarettes before people started to curb their behavior. Rays of sunshine. We need rays of sunshine to keep the road trip alive. And uh, let's get back to EVs, uh, which I know have a ton of issues around them as far as battery life and cost and rollout and everything. And there's hope. There's hope, everybody.
1: Matt, we should do a follow-up show with an expert just on EV and the impact that it's going to have on the future of the road trip, both consumers and
0: businesses, that is a deep, deep subject. Yes, because you want to hear my my hot take. Hot take. Give it to me. There are about a fourth of hotels, reportedly, though a fourth of 63,000 sounds like a lot to have this, that apparently have EV charging stations. And as we talk about the... Future of the Great American Road Trip, I think we're talking about a road trip that is going to be dominated by electric vehicles 20 years from now. And the, the big bugbear with EVs is how long is it going to take to charge it? And I tend, if I'm going to go, like, like with a gas-powered car, you can essentially go 600 miles straight if you want to without uh, gassing up. And when you do gas up, it's five minutes. Electric vehicles, it's a different animal. For that to change, the charging time will need to come down, which I think it will. But my hot take is that if you are a destination of any kind, including a hotel, a theme park, an arts district on the main street, any place that you want to draw visitors and keep them there for a second, you should be installing electric vehicle chargers right now. If you can put on your website that you have a charging station, you will get more visitors and you will get more business, at least in the short term. True or false? I don't know that I would press the timing the way you're describing, meaning that the early
1: entry, right? If you're an early adopter of a hotel and you get there first, I don't know that there is a sustainable value by getting there first. You just might be the first to tap into that demand, right? Eventually. Mm -hmm. The people who stayed at your hotel today uh, aren't necessarily going to remember you fondly in five years for having that EV station, right? I mean, there's going to be so much more to the experience, I hope, than, you know, hotel experience better be a whole lot more than I got to charge there. So being there today in that space, welcoming EV arrivals, uh, I think you're right, there's a competitive advantage because people are hitting their own EVs and there aren't many places to go charge up at night. So. Short term, yes, good, smart short term play. Long term, it will like Wi Fi. It will eventually just become table stakes, and you're not going to choose your hotel because, man, I remember getting Wi Fi at that Marriott back when Wi Fi was not everywhere. I'm <laughs> still going at Marriott.
0: <laughs> that's a good. Okay, that's a good point. I wasn't. I wasn't expecting your Wi Fi comparison. That's a good one. I, I just made that one up,
1: uh, but I do think that. I mean, in seriously, that's I'm how a good he is. Show. That's how good he is. Uh, we should have a follow-up show with an expert on this because this is a deep subject. Because You're right. In a state like California, uh, and eventually it will spread, EVs will be required. You won't even see. It'll be so hard to find a gas station in 10 years. right? Like that, That's going to be out there. That's going to be a reality. One of the attractions for a hotel to be better suited for drive traffic is that it's uh, a more responsive market to marketing than fly-to traffic. So uh, I mentioned a company earlier called The Arrivalist, or I don't think it's the, I think it's just called Arrivalist. Uh, They partnered years ago with the Montana Tourism Business Development uh, to do a study of the impact of marketing dollars to change travel behavior between fly-to visitors to Montana and drive-to visitors to Montana. Uh, What they learned conclusively was that drive-to travelers are two and a half Times more likely to respond favorably to marketing. And I thought that was just brilliant. Putting that offer out there to people who are within driving distance of Montana, they respond favorably and go, oh, I think I'm going to take that trip, right? It's a simpler trip. It doesn't require the same degree of planning. Consumers respond and say, yeah, good idea. I'm going to do that. I'm going to change my action as a result of what I saw in the ad, right? Come to Montana and do this. Come do that. Uh, Whereas marketing to people uh, beyond 600 miles with those same visit Montana messages was not nearly as effective. Somebody in uh, Texas or Florida or New York was not saying, ah, yes, that ad inspired me to go to Montana. I'm going to do that. Right. And, And the difference in that was if you had to get on a plane, you were significantly less likely to respond to the marketing. So back to hotels. Does it matter? Does drive traffic? Uh, have additional benefit? does things that you're throwing out there like uh, let's let's be ev friendly. Uh, I think those things go together, where uh, if being within six hundred miles means you can turn a person's decision and being within six hundred miles is about the distance reasonably that someone's willing to travel in an EV, not because it's necessarily the range, but because pulling over for an hour is way different than driving. 2000 miles, and you got to pull over seven times, right? Yeah, pull over one time for an hour, pull over six times for an hour each time, right? Very different scenario. So I, th- I think they go together there, where EV friendliness for the just the range that you can expect out of an EV and people to respond favorably to marketing. I think the great America, maybe that's not the great American road trip, Matt. Maybe that's the weekend getaway. Uh, but I think there's a correlation between willingness to get in the car. Responsiveness to my marketing dollar to tell people, hey, I'm open for business. I got a good deal for you. Come do this.
0: I think those things all tie together. Jeff, it's time for the mystery question. Let's hear it. give me a recommended road trip, and wait, it has to be more than a thousand miles. Mm. It could be round trip thousand miles, but yeah, that's it, a good criteria, and it does remove
1: Cincinnati to Dayton, Ohio. I, yes. You're right. Well, I'll answer you with my favorite I've done. And the favorite I'd like to do. The one, and this has come up a number of times, The a real theme here Southern Utah. I don't know if it fully hits the thousand miles, but let's go Vegas to Arches. It's somewhere around that thousand mile. Where it's probably not quite a thousand. I just think it's the most beautiful, you know, 800 mile stretch or so of America. Uh, but of trips I've not done and would love to most by road, uh, let's call it the thousand mile journey. Uh, up in the Northwest. You know, I don't know. Does PCH go
0: all the way from, uh, you know, tip to tip, border to border, Mexico to Canada? I think it does. That's something I should know, but don't. So I will confirm that.
1: Uh, you know, I've done the portion of, we call it Mexico to the Bay Area. Uh, and I would love to do that second portion, Bay Area, uh, all the way to Washington, up to Seattle, Cascade Mountains, Oregon coastline. Never done it. I would love to do that. Jeff, I'll see you out there on the road. Maybe in Oregon.